0: You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number forty, Trapeze Medusa, and coming to you from the sleepy late night suburbs of Chicago. I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry,
1: and coming to you from the chilly suburbs of Providence, John Lodge Matola. All right, Lodge, like
0: the like the cast iron pans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Well.
1: It's not, but yeah, Lodge. Like you. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, You're just
0: you're just agreeing that it's the same word. (laughs) I was like, is the is the Lodge company based in Rhode Island?
1: Uh, No, actually, I I took it from the producer of the Medusa album, who is just John Lodge. That's right. Okay. Fair enough. Through my through my name at my last name at the end. See, I was I was just wait. I
0: was looking for the uh, Rhode
1: Island connection, and that you threw you threw me off. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm throwing you off a couple. I did a, a couple around the holidays, and now I'm doing this one. All right. Well, uh, just to tie into the album, since we don't have a lot of history on it. So there you go.
0: Well, yeah. if uh, if you want to keep up to date on the show, you can subscribe at Apple Podcast, so your preferred pod catcher. You can subscribe on YouTube if you wish to check out our beautiful faces that were made for radio. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All that information is at deepurplepodcast.com. And two ways you can really support the show. One is, hey, become a patron on Patreon, for God's sake. It's so easy. Just click that button, dollar a month, two dollars a month, three dollars, five, ten, hundred, whatever you want to send a month comes directly to us, goes straight into the show, helps support the show. We really appreciate it. And if you want to help new people discover the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is the best stars. You can also write us a review, which we really appreciate. And speaking of patrons, oh my goodness, we got not a new patron, but a new patron level. So our our good friend, Steve Seaborg, who, hmm, I don't know. I, I I think I'm correct in saying he's he was our first ever patron. So mm-hmm. he and he's the one that I met up with back in October and went to the Deep Purple show. Great guy. He um he was donating money to another podcast and they stopped making the podcast. So he said, you know what? I'm just going to take that money and donate it to you guys. In huh. addition to what I'm already donating he said he said you know I'll just do two five dollar a month donations and I was like well that is very generous of you Steve but you know what I will make a new tier the ten dollar tier is launching it's and I've called it the super champion tier Steve Seaborg is the only member his website's name on anything.com and all the worlds a stage.net beautiful merchandise I'm not um, he's not really asking us to advertise but he made me this beautiful journal uh, made from a made in Europe record great uh he does all of all sorts of uh ooh, little ASMR there. He does a lot of um really cool stuff. he does shirts and uh, clothing and apparel, all sorts of stuff so uh check out uh, his website if you want anything printed. He's a great guy, nice guy and he's uh he's created himself the ten dollar tier. Now I need to come up with names for the rest of these tiers. So at the five dollar tier we got Clay Wombacher, the three dollar tier Peter Gardeau and Ian derosier and at the one dollar tier the made-up name tier. I guess I should just call it that, the made-up name tier. El's Murders, yeah, and Spacey say, Noodles. Yeah. So we should just probably call it the made-up name tier, the Friends of the Show tier. I don't know. We'll, we'll call it, we'll call them something. But Steve Seaborg has created the $10 tier. So mm. we appreciate it. Thanks to our yeah, brothers of the cool. Deep Dive Podcast Network, Sabbath Bloody Pad Podcast, Skinner Reconsidered, and T-Bone's Prime Cuts. And of course, the patron saint of Deep Purple Podcast, Jorg Plainer. Thank you very much for your help, Jorg. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, if you can help support the show, it's great. Uh, if you think about those little things, those cups of coffee you buy during the week or whatever, if you can take one tiny little bit, if you're getting some value out of the show and you want to give back, please do consider. We do really appreciate it. All right, so what's what's going on? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on on social media, but I don't I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin
1: this week. Well, you're more up on the regular news. I just see, like, all the... I see all the crazy stuff. Yeah, well, there's been there's been a few like, few things. Like that that new memes page that you sent me. <laughs> yes,
0: did we talk about that last episode? I don't know. Come taste come taste the memes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they had um yeah, yeah, I think had, we did. Uh, I think we did. Well, the, the other day they had put out a story. You'd like this one. They had put they had put out a story like um maybe they they were up for like what, maybe a week and they're like wow, we already got, like, they did a screenshot of their main page. Wow, we already have, like, you know, 50, like, you know, followers or whatever. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And then a day or two ago, they had put another story that said, like, they had 69 followers, and they'd circled it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, put something to, like LOL or something. I immediately messaged them, and I'm like, Coverdale would be proud. <laughs> they immediately messaged me back, and they're like, ha thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he
2: was so, a big uh, fan of that.
1: Oh, I mean I, I couldn't let that one go. No, but, of course uh, not. Um I'm happy to see that they're getting some uh some love over there. They have some uh they have some funny memes.
0: Yeah, I mean it's great to just have a, a
1: deep purple only meme account. I'm pretty sure that's the only one. Yeah, I don't know of any other ones, you know, aside from you know, just going to Coverdale who steals and repurposes memes all the time, but they're not deep purple related. So except that, you know, he's behind it.
0: So one thing came in uh, today that I is just too good not to share, um, and uh, we have a, we have a new sponsor. And with this was this sponsor was so we're gonna give them some commercial airtime here. Nobody, you're not ready for this because I didn't tell you. But uh, York Planer sent us this. It's a paid sponsorship, so I'm very ha- happy to announce our first sponsor for the show uh, is Folgers and he sent me, and york Planer sent me this i was very he somehow arranged this folger sponsorship and sent me the audio file which is what is the name of this audio file oh um jlt folgers huh that's interesting so let's uh let's check out this new ad
2: but when the folger starts to brew that aroma makes me feel brand new and i welcome the day cause nothing standing in my way
0: Part of waking up is in your cup. All right, Folgers. I mean, you got to admit, Folgers is some great coffee.
1: Is that Joe Lynn Turner singing the Folgers jingle?
0: Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so, wow, yeah, that's that's priceless. That's I another. It.
0: Yeah, I wasn't aware of that one, but leave it to leave it to York to unearth that. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's just, let's, we might be hearing more from our, our, our good friend, uh, JLT, in the, in the, in the shows to come. So even though we haven't gotten to his albums yet in rainbow or in purple, uh, he might be uh, doing some paid sponsorship. So we thank Folgers Crystals for their generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. <laughs> and, uh, you know, man, oh, just in the morning, I just love smelling those, that Folgers in my cup. Oh, the, the crystals.
1: <laughs> Folgers crystals. I don't think anybody anybody referred to coffee as crystals, like, since the actual 80s. Folgers crystals. Hmm. I, I think that was, like, the first coffee I ever had. My parents had it, and I, like...
0: It's just so weird. You just, like, stir it into, like, some hot water, and you just got coffee.
1: Yeah, it was that. And what's that other one? The big orange tin, like, Sanka? Oh, Sanka, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was the same idea, right? Yeah, you know, big... Yeah, big friggin' orange ten, you know, you'd have, you know, mom would just be like, Yeah, I'm gonna have some Sanka. You know, just like just, you know, nope. and then I'm gonna then I'm gonna go to Caldor's. Caldors. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: My my favorite coffee was um a chock full of nuts.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's still around, right?
0: I think so, because there used to be, I think it was on Route 2 in Warwick, there was like a little like drive up. You could drive right up there. and You know
1: what? I think you're right. And yeah, one of the cause... first
0: times my wife came to visit me in Rhode Island, I don't know why we were down there, but I remember we stopped in the Chock Full of Nuts kiosk and got a coffee. But uh, it's it's great because it's called Chock Full of Nuts, and there's no nuts in it because it's coffee.
1: Maybe it had some nutty undertones. Well, apparently
0: the company was started like uh, like I don't know like a hundred years ago, and yeah. it was like in New York. And the guy sold nuts and then started. So it was like his stand was like chock full of nuts because it was all nuts. And then he like got out of the nut game and slowly got into coffee. And now he's only well, he is more people now. I think um, they're only coffee, but they still call themselves chock full of nuts, which I kind of respect. It, it, it they're just sticking with that name. They're just <laughs> driving it into the ground. They haven't sold nuts in like eighty years, but they're still <laughs> going with it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Good for them. Oh, but anyway, what are we here to talk about today? Well, as we announced at the intro here, we're here to talk about Trapeze and the, specifically the album Medusa. Now, uh, we talked in back way back, oh God, what was it episode 17 or something? We talked about Glenn Hughes and his coming up before Deep Purple and went briefly through a little bit of Trapeze, some other live stuff. But Uh, We haven't really covered anything beyond that. And there was a Trapeze album before this one, but we kind of both agreed, "Eh, let's just skip that one for now. Um, That was really a transitionary sort of period where they had five guys in the band and two of them left and left you with the kind of classic Trapeze lineup of... Mm -hmm. Uh, Glenn Hughes, Mel Galley, and Dave Holland. So their first album, they did uh, five people. Terry Rowley and John Jones are the guys who left the band. Mel Galley ended up on this album taking the bulk of the songwriting with his brother Tom. And then they were signed to this record label, Threshold Records, which was set up by the Moody Blues bass player, John Lodge, as you said, Mm. which I should have picked up on your show opening thing. (laughs) And yeah, Trapeze got kind of big in America. They would they toured America six times in three years, and uh, wow. not as big in the UK. Kind of suffered from the same early Deep Purple thing where they were they were huge in the US, but not so much in the UK. Um, so Glenn Hughes, not really much to cover on Glenn Hughes. We have talked indefinitely about Glenn Hughes. Mel Gally, um, he was somebody who would go on to join White Snake. And um, then we got Dave Holland on drums, and Dave Holland uh, would later on go on to be working Judas Priest. He worked with Tony Iommi, and um, unfortunately, kind of ended his life in disgrace. He was involved in some pretty nasty stuff. Uh, Ended up going to prison for a while. Got out, and he passed away last year. Oh, I should say 2018, early 2018, about. Little over two years ago after this episode goes live, when he passed away. And Mel Galley also passed away. So, Glenn Hughes is the last remaining member of the classic trapeze lineup to still be with us. All right. So, trapeze album, album cover. Here we go. It's kind of a, a cool album cover. What do you think of this one?
1: Um I feel like it's kind of um I mean it's obviously like a screaming face it looks like a screaming face. Yeah. Um but it's like that kind of like jagged like uh what do you call it like um art like what's that artwork where it's like like, like art deco or something? No like a, like an impressionist painting or like oh, okay, you know yeah. something where it's like you know, it's it's supposed to look like something, but it looks like something else, and it's kind of disjointed. the The face mm. is kind of like off center a little bit. It's it's kind of jarring with like the, the like the, like the uh, the sharp lines That's and stuff It's very angular, like that. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's it seems like um, like you look at it and think like, oh, this is kind of nondescript, or maybe kind of a, you know, who cares album cover. But I actually think it's kind of cool. I like it. I like it. Yeah, kind of like,
0: like this. Why. This face, like, kind of screaming and in, in—I don't know—looks kind of like anguished.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is about this cover, but it's like I said, it's just it's always kind of. Maybe because I just know that the music contained within is so awesome that <laughs> I like it. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. I've, it's always kind of stuck out to me. I—I
0: I feel like the first album cover. I feel like. The first album cover and the and the third in the trapeze albums were kind of eh, and this one kind of stuck out. And I always felt the same way about the music on this. I really loved this album. Mm. I liked the other two, but I really loved this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, this if if this was in an original like painting or composition for the album, then do you know if it was or it was? Um, so
0: it was. Mm. So it was it was it was funny because I found I think it was on Wikipedia I can't remember but they they caught they they credited the cover illustration to Pat Travers and I was like well that's interesting um, but then I looked it up they had just gotten it wrong because Pat Travers obviously worked with Glenn Hughes on the musical side but the uh, the cover illustration is by Phil Travers so that's probably uh. probably why they made the mistake and he basically is somebody who did I don't know much about the Moody Blues but he did a lot of Moody Blues album covers. Oh, okay.
1: Well, yeah, at least is a cool original composition.
0: Yeah, I really, I really, I dig it. Um, on the inside of the album, you've got the gatefold here. You've got uh, the three members all being—it looks like being filmed by somebody lying on the ground, filming them from below, and they're looking <laughs> up at the sky. It must have been a very rare blue sky day in in the UK. Um, so it's just announced it's, it's just pretty simple, says who produced the album, the names of the songs on the sides, who wrote them. Nothing, uh, nothing crazy. Then you've got this great, rare picture of a bearded, well, I guess, or maybe just mustachioed Glenn Hughes.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, he was he was bearded and mustachioed around the seventh star era. That's true. You know, yeah, 15 or so years later. But um, <laughs> this,
0: I I prefer this look a little better. The seventh star era, not his finest look
1: yeah no and um it's know, kind of like have, the poor um,
0: man's George Michael look
1: <laughs> yeah this looks more like the poor man's George Harrison look, yeah um, yeah, now that you mention it but and they couldn't have used it <laughs> again, just again, uh, again like yeah. his Christmas album they're just like, oh, when are you gonna take the picture? they're like done and he's like, ah oh, damn it <laughs> yeah, apparently they didn't have any
0: role any film left in the role because they didn't take a safety shot because Glenn Hughes's eyes are closed.
1: And, and then, like, the um, who's who's in the middle? Dave Holland? I think that's Dave
0: Holland, yeah. it's like,
1: completely eclipsed, like, by Glenn Hughes's, like, you know, there's a big shadow over him that Glenn Hughes is blocking his light. You can barely see Dave Holland's face. And then Dave Holland's face is casting a shadow
0: on Mel Galley, so you can only see the top. <laughs> like, it almost looks like he has a goatee because of the shadow that's on his face. Yeah, pretty piss poor picture, to be honest. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's it's kind of cool when you look at it. Like if you just look at it, you're just like, all right, this is a cool picture. But then like when you start dissecting it, like we are, we're like, yep, here it is. Just another, just another instance where poor, <laughs> poor, poor Glenn, poor he was Glenn wasn't like... ready. And he got screwed by the photographer. <laughs> I just think of how young he must've been at this time.
0: I think he was like 18 or 19 or something crazy. Cause I think yeah. he was, by the time he was in deep purple, he was like 23 or 24. So he was, he was very young. Um, mm. Yes. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, math doesn't work out. Maybe he was 20. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's a great uh, it's it, it, the the shot could have been really good if the lighting was better, if Glenn Hughes's eyes were open. But yeah, yeah photography was by David Roll. Um, and like we talked about the production uh, on the album done by John Lodge, uh, who actually didn't do a lot of other production outside of Trapeze. Um uh the opened up the album the back side of the album shows you this so you got kind of like this weird oh wow figure on the back of the album that's like i don't even know how to describe it it's almost like a uh, a pig a pig you seen a pig yeah it's very abstract i see like a face almost like a comical smiling face
1: yeah but in the middle it looks kind of like a pig nose or something with one eye closed winking and Oh yeah, I can see the pig nose. He's yeah, kinda going like he's kind of going like this. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a yeah, <laughs>
0: it's like a hand to like up like pressed to the glass or something. Yeah.
1: It's just a really like I, I guess in keeping with that whole like, you know, 19 it was like 1970. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. kind of still that abstract, like psychedelic, out there type of artwork, which is pretty cool. And we've got um The uh, there's also an alternate
0: version of this and it must be like it was printed by a different press, but it's got this it's the same exact image, but instead of being all shades of orange and yellow, it's colorful. It's got purples and greens and blues. uh, And I'm not sure what the difference is. Some somebody out there listening probably will be able to tell us Um, the backside of the album. Same thing. It's just. uh, It's a little more colorful. And this is the cover. This is not the cover I had on the CD. Um, I had the RNG one. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh, the record itself, nothing crazy there, but Threshold Records shows you the track listing. And then um one interesting thing here is this this cool picture of Glenn Hughes. And I I'd have to look it up, but I believe this was from the release party for the album. It's a picture of Glenn Hughes holding up the album, looking much younger than he looks in that photo.
1: And I did um I did a little Quick math that uh, he was 19 when this album came out, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. But yeah, there he is. Baby baby Glenn.
0: (laughs) This is December 1st in Japan. Glenn Hughes from English rock group Deep Purple and Trapeze posed holding a copy of Trapeze's 1970 album Medusa at Warner Records Company press reception during Deep Purple's tour of Japan in 1975. Also, the picture is... Uh, much later, and that would explain why the picture's by Finn Costello, uh, who did a lot of the deep purple photography around that time. He probably wasn't on the trapeze beat back in 1970.
1: Um, He was still still just 24, so... Yeah, still pretty young Glenn.
0: It's funny, I'm looking on um, (laughs) on Getty Image's site to get that information, and it says, more pictures from this event, and there's all these pictures of Queen Elizabeth, like, full-color pictures of Queen Elizabeth from, like, a few years ago. (laughs) Like... Clearly, something wrong with her algorithm. I do not <laughs> think she was in attendance.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's
0: like just scrolling through picture after picture of Queen Elizabeth. It would have been great if she was there. And She's like,
1: like, oh, I love trapeze. Trapeze
0: is... Uh, those lads are right
2: corkers. I'm going to fly down to Japan so I can meet Glen Hughes. <laughs>
1: um. They, that's our impression of the Queen, everybody. Yeah, that's what.
2: <laughs>
0: if you donate on Patreon, we can take lessons to do uh better, uh, better impressions. Uh, the engineer for this album was Roger Quested. I might not be pronouncing that right, but but he did some work for the Kinks, John Denver, and Pink Floyd. So there you go.
1: That's well. I I gotta say, like I don't well, like these these people are not very. Well known, at least to me, like a uh, producer, engineer, whatever. But before we get into the album, though, it's like, it's it's got a killer sound. Like I mean, it was produced really well. I think it's like for an album at that time, it's just like really like crystal clear. Like all the the, the instruments are like you know the the EQ like you know perfect. They're all sonically like separated. Like nothing. It's one of those like uh, what album did we talk about before? We were just like every. It, like every track has space to breathe. Like you can hear all the instruments together, but you I think hear it was them white separately.
2: snake.
1: Was it?
0: I think it might've been, even though that album is much busier because this is just a power trio. There's no, and there's no yeah. crazy studio trickery. There's no crazy sound effects. There's not a lot of yeah. double tracking. There's no yeah. synthesizers or, or keys that I can really think of offhand. Like this
1: is, this is stripped down raw power trio at work. And, And I mean, if you consider other power trios and the ones that I know best would be like, you know, Cream, of course, around that time and Mm -hmm. Grand Funk Railroad, Mm -hmm. like they were, of course, like really great too. But I mean, I don't think that at this early stage, either one of them got like this kind of like really like this kind of production, which I think is just like you said, just like really raw. Like it just sounds like they win the studio, just the three of them, like no, no trickery, no other kind of stuff in there, like, trying to fill in the sound. It's just, like, you know, three guys just belting it out.
0: I can imagine their live set would have sounded... They would have been able to duplicate these songs almost flawlessly because there's there was, there was yeah. nothing else they were
1: relying on in the studio. And there's something to be said for albums like that, too. Like, you, you know, you like to hear, like, uh, the last week when we discussed Rainbow Rising, and it's cool to hear all those layers of sound, and, and you said that, like... Um, what is it? Richie said that they couldn't reproduce. Um, was it Stargazer? Mm, no. Yeah, I the, think it was. Yeah, was was it a Stargazer no, it was the, with all the. The, the song the, after Stargazer. <laughs> what am I drawing? You know, the light blank. in the Black? Light in the Black, yeah. Well, Light in the Black, they just couldn't do because it was just too fast. Oh, bass, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah like, you're Stargazer right. Stargazer had like the orchestra. The and orchestra correct. Like that. They couldn't do so, that because of the
0: orchestra and they couldn't do Light in the Black because of the tempo.
1: <laughs> right. Which, that you know, that's, that's really cool. But it's also cool to like have bands where like this where like pretty much the whole album you you could picture them being like, yeah, they could probably do this whole thing live and they probably did, you know? So
0: I think it's just worth mentioning that that picture of Glenn Hughes, I showed holding up the album on, on Getty images. You can purchase that picture for $499. Why? (laughs) I don't know. I can't imagine they're moving a ton of uh, Glenn Hughes images or any images at that price. I guess people that use this are gonna be like businesses and things, but I don't uh, know. It seems like I would I would buy a nice quality print of Glenn Hughes holding the Trapeze album cover if it wasn't five hundred dollars. Something yeah. a little closer
1: to I don't know fifteen to twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah, maybe get a picture of Glenn Hughes holding like four hundred dollars. <laughs> cash just like this or I'll just
0: take my chances with this printing up this low res version just hang that on my wall I don't need a poster of it so Um, all right, yeah so yeah I don't want not to give too much away about this album but like like I said earlier this this was you get these senses from some of the albums before you start looking at them critically and just realize oh this is the album this is an album I always came back to for whatever reason I listened to the other two trapeze albums but this was my go to Mm -hmm. and um, I think we're going to dive into a little bit and I think the same was true of you I think we're going to go dive into this and see why that was why did why was this the one that we kept coming back to as opposed to the other two Um, so should we uh, kick it off yes sir All right, let's get it up first track it's called Black Cloud and is written by Mel and Tom Galley.
1: How's that volume level? Oh, you pump it up just a little bit? Yep. There we go.
0: and i just love the drum sound of this album how dry it is like you, you usually hear this big reverb but it's just the snare is just so dry yeah you know what that's
1: it is everything's dry that's why i like this album because the the production is just very like straight ahead very there's no reverb or anything on anything things that i am missing i go Immediately you get, like, you know, just early young Glenn Hughes is just, like, raw, like, voice. Like, it sounds raw. It sounds like he sang this, like, several times and he was just done. Right. And it's funny
0: because he doesn't even sound like that now. His voice sounds, like, cleaner now. Yeah. (laughs) At almost
1: 70 years old. But, I mean, in a good way, you know, I love, like... Yeah. That's why I kind of think this is some of his best singing because it's just really just, like yeah he's just got that really yeah it's him being like really he's always has a lot of emotion in his vocals and everything but this is like different you know this is him really i think young and like kind of uh well he's not polished yet he's going for that edgy kind of sound whereas like nowadays
0: he'll be more tending to go into the very very high register and doing screams like that but like now he's like in on this he's He's got a different style. He hadn't quite developed into his classic Glenn Hughes style yet. And it's interesting because he's singing predominantly on this album songs that were written by Mel and Tom Galley. gets another again very dry guitar solo sound yeah it reminds me of a certain tone but I
1: can't think of whose it is that's oh, just so good you feel like he's just like right up in your face just playing these notes you can just hear every little oh they brought in the tambourine right channel (laughs) i love mel Mel galley's work on this album mel galley's great
0: i just realized something about the album cover there's also another face on the right hand side that's looking directly at that main face see it see right here that there's the, the right eye and there's the left eye and the nose oh it's like a like a robot head yeah they're like the two heads are like almost pressed right up against each other and they're looking at each other i never noticed
1: that before it looks like darth vader (laughs) yeah a little bit it's very
0: very interesting album cover yeah that pat travers can really paint
1: a picture (laughs) 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 who knew I just thought that like they worked in this just really like just clean like crystal clear acoustic guitar. Love the acoustic guitar sound on this too, which we'll hear in later songs.
0: It's no surprise that they were big in America, but I'm honestly surprised they weren't bigger. Because I had never yeah. heard of Trapeze until I got into Deep Purple, like. That trapeze was not a thing you heard on the radio when we were growing up.
1: It almost has kind of like a uh, like a free or bad company vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, in parts, in, in sections. Yeah, just like, yeah, this like cream Grand Funk Railroad trapeze. That's how it should have been. These guys yeah. should have been as as well known as them. I mean, they were just as bit as good. And Glenn Hughes says that
0: in his book that this song was this song and Medusa were played pretty frequently on U.S. radio in like the very early seventies. But it probably did not last much past that. Hmm. Never heard this on the classic rock station growing up. Sadly, maybe I would have kept listening to it. <laughs>
1: Whoa, Glenn, get a little <laughs> screechy there. <laughs> huh? Maybe there's there's a little
0: keyboard there actually, on the right channel. Sounds like a Fender Rhodes.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Just kind of on whole notes on the chords. Well, actually, that's true. It did say that Glenn Hughes was on piano. Did it? Oh, on the album cover.
0: Yeah, if you look at the, um, he does he does love um, as we know he loves the
1: Fender Road. So, yeah, but if you look... <laughs> on the uh, the personnel, it's Glenn Hughes, bass, piano, and vocals. So, oh, there you go. So he Yeah, was of doing course. In bit. the in the early days, he's just like he didn't want to break it down into like the twenty different types of pianos that he was playing. <laughs> so, we, <they're laughs> this synthesizer
0: and that synthesizer.
1: No, but yeah, so it's um, so I guess like there was um. So I stand corrected. There was probably like a little bit of like some background like fill in type of stuff that was but I mean it didn't I mean it's so subtle it didn't even interfere with it. If you didn't say anything, I probably wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah, and that would have been very easy to
0: replicate live.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. All right. So Black Cloud, what what are you thinking on that song? Oh, Black Cloud gets a gets a four from me. Strong opening track. I agree. Wholeheartedly also getting a four from me. And the next track, what's that? Four creepy robot faces. It's Four creepy robot faces. <laughs> creepy robot faces.
0: Um, the next track, also written by Mel Galley and Tom Galley, is a track called Jury. I really like the bass work on this song.
1: I love it because you can hear like the little kind of mistakes mm-hmm. that were in there too. Well, like you know what I was talking about, right? Yeah, you can just hear like the little fret buzz and kind of Yeah, like yeah, the little, fret buzz, yeah. but I love that. Yeah. Because it's like
0: it's... You could tell it wasn't produced by Mutt Lang. <laughs> <laughs> he would never have stood for that. This is a great early vocal performance by Hughes. Shows you his range. Listen to this bass. Such a simple little like run down that minor scale, but fits the song so perfectly. And this is where they get kind of like a real Black Sabbath riffy vibe that we've talked about before. Almost kind of sounds like Randy Rhodes era Ozzy, honestly. Actually, yeah. That's Which I crazy. never thought of before just now, but that like this sounds like it could have been off of Diary of a Madman.
1: Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Kind of has like a no bones movie type of tone to it. <laughs> My favorite Aussie <Ozzy> song. <laughs> or no bone movies. No, no I'm bone sorry. movies. When I say no bones movie?
0: <laughs> I didn't realize what that song actually meant until like, I don't know, five years ago. I was like, oh. <laughs> not bone either. Nobody called it bone
1: movies in the United States. <laughs> huh. My dad called them smokers. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of that. <laughs> hey, you going to watch some smokers? Bogers. Even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not gonna.
0: <laughs> not the person I'm gonna share that information with. <laughs> this song like evokes imagery of me like being in a band when I was a teenager. Like what it would have sounded like in the room. Yeah. I- this is so good. And this gets real intense.
1: I feel like this song is so well crafted. And it's very dynamic, too. There are a lot of dynamics in it, yeah, you know? It has ups and downs, riffs, and quiet parts. It's. There's such good riffs, too, in this. Oh,
0: man. Anyone who thinks that Glenn Hughes is too soulful needs to listen to this album. Yep. Not a lot of soul. This is another one when this album came out. I was just like, why had I never heard of this? I was just like angry. (laughs) When I first discovered it, you know. I was like, how have I... At that point, I'd probably only been listening to this kind of music for like, I don't know. Five years, but I was pissed that I hadn't learned about it sooner. You get that like panning where the lead guitar on the right channel and the Glenn's vocals mostly in the left. Oh
1: yeah. Break it up! Break it up! up. (laughs) Space. (laughs) <laughs> flashing forward a little bit who's he telling them to break it up like the like the
0: guitar solo is like there's enough of that like i don't know break it up This album sounds like it—it's not something they, they labored over, took a ton of time with, but it's so well performed.
1: Yeah. Man, they wrote, they drove that riff into the ground. I know.
0: So good. And it, and then they just kind of fade back into this like the intro part. It's a long they they opened the song, this album with two long songs. A six minute and an eight-minute song. This kind of follows a different format. We got three long songs on the first side and then the rest of them are on the second. I think my mind kind of conflates this song with Seafull because they're similar mm-hmm. vibes to those two songs.
2: And pull down the for is near. Comes
0: that bass run again. <laughs> and it's like, it's not flashy. It's super simple. Kind of like this whole album. I heard somebody slagging on Glenn Hughes' bass playing today on Twitter. I wanted to jump through the phone. Like, yeah, the hell with them. They was saying like who's the most overrated bass player? And like Glenn Hughes. I'm like, nobody gives him any credit for bass. How is he overrated? <laughs> 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 oh, these vocals at the end is like he's going almost Beyond what he's capable of, it sounds like he's like losing it. It's great. Come on,
2: come on.
0: I love that so much. So much emotion from his vocals. It's especially impressive considering again he, he didn't even write this song yeah. he delivers such an amazing performance both bass wise and vocally and you you think of Glenn Hughes as being more of somebody that like brings that kind of passion to his own songs mm-hmm. uh, but man he was he was
1: in this band a hundred percent and then you got like Mel Galley who was like i I. Put it to you, he is like he is the riff master. He's coming up with some damn good riffs. And again, like who, who in who, what, are, who are the
0: music gods that made the decisions that Black Sabbath was going to be like primo when it comes to riffs, and Trapeze was going to get zero credit because I don't get me wrong, Iomi is the riff master, and I don't know if anybody's written as many compelling riffs as he has. Mm. Um, uh, I'm not saying they should be on the same level as him, but man they're they might not have been as prolific or, or this might not have lasted as long, but they 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 put some
1: iomi level riffs in this so far in the first two songs. I would say so, and this so far, it's like really just consistent, you know the the not just the production but I mean, like the songs and the performances throughout the album are really consistent as well. That's another reason it's good. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, this one's like I gotta give this one a 4.5. Oh man,
0: we're we're lock lockstep once again. I am, I am also I was also thinking four point five on this one.
1: Yeah, I mean that that breakdown, you know, it's just like God, they could play it all day and I wouldn't get to na nah, 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 nah. that part's great and I, I like it, but it's almost
0: that part where it goes on the upbeats. <laughs> it it just yeah. like it's not where you expect it to go when they start when they start playing that that first part and I don't know it's great I like riffs that are long like longer that take place over multiple bars rather than these really short repetitive riffs yeah um, and that's that's one of them it's great great riff
1: all right yep good stuff hey for the next song um I don't know if it's just the the audio just needs to go up a little bit more all right I'll crank it up a little bit. You
0: can always, might be, if you're listening on YouTube, it might be a little rough, but hey, subscribe to the podcast. You don't need to listen on YouTube. Um, all right. <laughs> Next uh, track up is Your Love is All Right, which, all right. Your Love is All Right, which uh, sounds like a song that would be written by Glenn Hughes, and it was with Mel Galley and Dave Holland. So here you go. Can you tell Glenn Hughes might have been more involved in the music? (laughs) Oh yeah, a little early funk there. I love how tight they are right there. It's tough to leave that much silence and then come back in tight like that.
2: Building up.
1: I wouldn't even really call this a funky song. It's just really catchy.
2: And
0: it sounds like he has double tracking a little there or Mel's backing him up. This is a song like I could imagine him taking the deep purple and then seeing a deep purple spin on it.
2: <clears throat>
0: it wouldn't have sounded like this, but. Oh, some percussion. It's actually, almost like kind of like a paperback writer style riff. <laughs> Oh, he lost the riff a little bit right there. I love that.
1: This is a a great section right here.
0: Yeah, it's like you're just waiting for the whole band to kick in the whole time, you know?
1: (laughs) Great guitar solo.
0: Just got a single bass drum on that kit, but he's really like working it. Oh, yeah. oh, God, We're in a lot of double bass kits floating around in nineteen seventy. It's possible, but
1: oh that was that was awesome. See now they're like they're kinda of quieting it down a little bit. come back. Yeah. False ending.
2: Just kidding.
1: (laughs)
0: Nice tight ending right there.
1: Yeah, almost like that uh, almost like that that vacuum ending yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> from the rainbow, yep. from the rainbow album. Cool. Well, yeah, good stuff. Uh, it's like one of my, one of my favorite like solo sections, guitar solos of the album was right there. It's just, I just, I just love that rock and blue scale stuff. It's just yep. so good. You know, when somebody like, when you got a player that that does it right and they, they just, you know, the, the sound is produced right and they just have this certain type of tone and everything. It's like, you know, you can't describe it. It just comes together. All right. What do you say about your love is all right? I say the song is all right. All right. Hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I'm like, I'm torn on what to give it, but I, I'm going to say a four because even though I love it and I love the solo section, it's like, um, it's not, it's not as quite as up there as like as Jury is for me, but I still love it.
0: I'm gonna give it a 3.5. I like it. I love that, that intro, that uh, that uh, <coughs> interlude in the middle there. But I, I do yeah. feel like it, the it gets a little repetitive for like a five minute song. If that was like a three minute song, hmm. I, I think I, I would probably rank it maybe a four. But I, to me, it just seems like by the end, it's like I, I like it. Yeah, and I think a lot of really interesting stuff happens. It's just um we've got two we've got a pretty long songs on that first side. And I think that one could have been scaled back a little bit.
1: I would even say like, you know, that they could have just ended it like at that false ending part and that actually would have improved <laughs> yeah, coming, it a little
0: bit. Yeah, coming back was a little I mean, I like a false ending, but that, that was a little kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um all right, next song up. Now we're moving over to the second side of the album here with a track called Touch My Life. This reminds me of something so much and I can't remember this this guitar part. Day Tripper? <laughs> Day Tripper again? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, but I don't think that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know. That's the first thing that popped into my mind. Yeah, now that you mention it. This song was written by Mel Mel Galley and Tom Galley again. I like how the drums come in and they, they hit you with a, a beat that you're not really expecting. because I, I I kind of had like a rhythm in my mind of the song and then when the drums come in it switches it and I, I love when they do that.
1: Yeah. It's
0: like when they play the guitar on the upbeats but you think they're playing the downbeats and the drums come in and you're like ha ha, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It is really full-sounding, really heavy.
0: And it's funny, because the guitar doesn't have a heavy sound to it. It's just kind of like a little bit of an overdrive, almost clean sound to it. Glenn's bass playing here is good.
1: Yeah, great sound, great playing. Good singing, good playing. Oh, nice doubling effect on the guitar. Yeah.
0: Pretty much everything I said about this being stripped down was wrong, but (laughs) they don't bring in
1: too much extra stuff. Well, I mean, not, he just doubled the guitar track. That's, that's not too flashy. No. I mean, I've only heard this album 300 times, so how would I uh, remember <laughs> that
0: there was any overdubbing at
1: all? Well, I don't know about you, but I, I hadn't sat down and paid this much attention to this album before. No,
0: never. If or you any know, of the
1: ones that we've been listening to.
0: Yeah, even though some of them we've listened to a lot of times. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if he had, like, a towel over the snare drum on this because of that, how dry it sounds. but that, that 70s rock dry sound. Just put some tea towels on it and take That was kind of a little hint of the Glenn Hughes that that would would come to pass in later years. Yeah, nice,
1: nice, strong ending too. Yeah, really.
0: It's very, uh, it's very much like you get the impression from a lot of these songs, that one in particular, that it was. It, it wasn't something that they came up with in the studio. That was something they must've like jammed on because that, that kind of ending is something you only really do as a, a live act. You don't hear many endings like,
2: durr, durr, durr,
0: durr, durr, durr. <laughs> like that's just, that's just a thing a band does live, not necessarily yeah. in the studio.
1: Yeah. Or if they're doing it live in the studio. Well, yes. Ta-da. Good good point. Um, But I know what you mean. Live on stage. Yeah. All right. What do you think of "Touch My Life"? Um, yeah, as good as I think that it is, um, I feel like that's probably our our filler track for the album. You know, um, yeah, it's um for me, it's a three point five.
0: Same here. Yeah,
1: it's, I like it's it. It's good, but it's like you know, usually this is the one I find myself skipping over. I mean, if it's my least favorite on like an awesome album, that's still saying it's great. So
0: yeah, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of filler tracks. I mean. It, most there's not a lot of albums out there that every track is just a dynamite you know whatever you need some little you need some little peaks and valleys and filler yeah. tracks are not always yeah, I hope nobody takes it that we're when we call something a filler track like it's a huge insult, but
1: I don't mean it that way it's uh, for me, it's just was um just not not one of my faves so yeah. Okay,
0: next up, we have the first track on the album written by Hughes Solo. Just Glenn Hughes, and that is the track Seafull.
1: I love that. That guitar comes in on the No, that's a really like '60s type of guitar tone, like. It is. It reminds me of like, like the early Blood Sweat and Tears guitar yeah. soap, guitar tone. But what a great melody! Oh, it's beautiful. And then right here are the bends. Listen to
0: the yes. snare drum hits too. It's just it sounds like he's hitting a wood block, not a snare drum. <laughs> On this song, it's extra accentuated. I like how he's not quite hitting those bends, and you hear that little dissonance in the notes. It's great. Again, simple bass work, but really effective.
1: Yeah, this is just great hues.
0: His voice is perfect on this. I agree. I love that line, my hand starts creeping.
1: Was nice little doubling with the guitar with his voice doing that little wavering yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh. These lyrics, too. How are these written by a 19 year old?
1: He was just good.
0: This is one of our first tastes of what Hughes is capable of lyric-wise. Normally on Play Me Out, like there's like five lines for every song because he's riffing so much, but on this one, a, it tells a story. And it's very poetic and not super clear what he's talking about, but I like that in a song when it can be interpreted so many different ways. Now you got like an organ coming in, it sounds like. Very oh, subtle, very subtle in the left channel. and that raw hue sound
2: yeah.
0: so tight on those little change ups
1: You're right. It isn't really blood, sweat, and tears sounded type of solo. I can get that tone out of
0: the, my old ovation guitar that you can't see, but it's hanging up on the wall over there. Yeah. The guitar is like... This guitar would have existed when this was being recorded. It's f- super old and it's got that sound to it. Just I don't know what it is about it. It's almost like it doesn't—it doesn't have a ton of
1: sustain on it. I like how he just stuck with this melody line, and he's just like, just ringing it out for all it's worth. He's putting in some subtle little changes up into it, but he's mostly
0: just keeping it simple. Yeah. his vocals on the outro here
2: forever we'll forever Well, well I'm
1: gonna make you see. i think it's funny there was like there was like a little bit of a organ in there yeah, very but like very
2: subtle.
0: Yeah. And it sounds faint. like maybe Hughes was just learning how to play keys cuz it was he was just holding those chords and on the other one he was just playing whole notes on the on the maybe on the Fender Rhodes just holding a chord as a whole note. So you hear yeah. a little bit more intricate work from him later on in his career, you know, play me out 6 or 7 years after this. Um but to great effect, like it, it didn't need to be anything busy you didn't need john lord to play that organ part um you what he did served the song really really well
1: it's well crafted well arranged so now you gotta edit out that part earlier where we're just like no there's no there's there's just four guys three guys playing (laughs) so now because now we sound like idiots we're like oh yeah there's a keyboard here there's a key there's a pedal tone there oh here comes a tambourine here comes some backing vocals I mean, for the most part, for the most part, it is still a raw, like. Let's just double down. Nope, record. nope. This is
0: just three guys playing. There's nothing else on here. I'm doubling down. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you can't a- convince me there's any overdubs on this album.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> oh shoot. I think I it's will.
0: interesting when you look at the so mm. so I, while I was I've always been I've always one of the things that I always loved about the song was the title Seafull. You know, yeah. it's like, it's just, um. And like I said, I don't know, have any idea what the song means, but I love the the lyric content of it and how kind of poetic and open to interpretation it is. Yeah. But the word "seafull," like you know, there's a sea full, you know, it's is enough to fill a sea. And I was like, is that even a word that anyone would use? So I Googled sea full. Of course, the first thing that comes up is the trapeze song, and the <laughs> second thing that comes up is like a <laughs> is a bunch of pictures of seagulls where people had a typo and wrote "sea." <laughs> So, so I look, I look, it's like, oh, here's the lyrics to the song, here's the Wikipedia entry, and now here's like a hundred pictures of seagulls <laughs> that are all labeled seafull by people who um
2: don't you know, know stock,
0: <laughs> stock images. And then it says, Did you mean seagull? <laughs> um so mm. so yeah, Google's unsure. So so it's definitely something that like the the uh amazingly poetic mind of glenn hughes at the age of tender age of 18 or 19 whenever he wrote this came up with this this using this word this way and much like much like blindman on the the white snake album it's like it's putting two words together that don't actually go together so yeah interesting
1: (laughs) all right what say you on Seafull? well i think that this is like glenn hughes masterpiece this is a five for me I could not agree with you more. Um, and probably, given the number
0: of times I've mentioned this song offhandedly over the <laughs> course of the time we've been doing this podcast, you probably mm. could have seen that coming. Um, I'm glad you agree. But yeah, I think it's a, a masterpiece is exactly well put. And and not only a masterpiece, but thinking of it in the context of the time, like this song coming out in 1970, just like, there'd be, a, you know, this this would kind of, this song format would not be um, unusual in the coming years, right. um, it, but for the time and just for what it is, and I, I just I love everything about it, like the that guitar sound, the solos, the harmonies, his vocals, everything about this song lyrically. It's it's it, it a masterpiece. You couldn't put it any better than you put it.
1: Now, <clears throat> think about this though: is like this is probably like the peak, you know, song on this album, mm-hmm. and this was around the same time. Right, the Deep Purple put out in rock. Mm-hmm. So, like, one part of me thinks, like, yeah, like you know, they were doing this the same. So it wasn't like Glenn Hughes wasn't doing anything. And then, like, four years later, he was in Deep Purple. He was good here, but it's like hearing this. It's like I don't know if he would have been able to hang with like Mark too, like for in rock because as good as he is, like they had like, they sounded like they had like, like the production on this, like, I think beats in rock, like, uh, because that is I mean, I love the production of in rock, but it's definitely a lot more dated sounding. Yeah. And this is a lot more, like you said, like dry, clear, uh, defined, whatever. But it's just like, I feel like, you know, as good as the music is, it's just like, I feel like, you know, the Mark II at this point had more, uh, more skill, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, sure,
0: sure. And they were a little, a, a little bit older.
1: Yeah, yeah, but they definitely like. I think that, um, like, uh, just like if they had never met each other, like whatever this this band, if they kept going, yeah, like, this lineup would have hit that. I think.
0: Yeah, who knows what would have laid in store for them if if he hadn't gotten into Deep yeah. Purple. Now that you mention Un- it, though, within rock, like you can see, like I think this is their. Seafull is their child in time, you know, it's, it's got that Mm. same. Yeah. Dynamically, it's very similar. I don't want to say similar, but dynamically it kind of matches some of those, some of those notes that they hit in child of time.
1: But I mean, you know, at this point, like, I mean, like uh, his, his voice was not as developed as Gillen's. Like, I mean, Gillen was like, what, Mm -hmm. probably like nine or 10 years older than Glen Hughes.
0: I think, oh no, he would have been like five or six years older. I think Gillen was born in 45 and And Hughes is what fifty one or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he was definitely older. He was definitely Lord. Lord was almost ten years older, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But like I I just thought of it when you're just like, Yeah, you wouldn't have needed a John Lord to play that organ part. And then it just made me think of like the, the similarities and everything. It's just like if like like Hughes probably could have sang Child in Time when he joined Deep Purple, but not here. You know yeah
0: and it's it's weird it's it's he he almost has like he's his voice is like the Benjamin button of voices he's got that gravelly like I'm getting to the end of my career voice when he's 19. like oh've I've blown out my vocal cords for singing too hard now he's like smooth as silk and like he's like Aah! he's doing all these like crazy <laughs> like notes where they're like it's so yeah. almost ridiculous how how high he can get and everything and, and how crystal clear he can sound he doesn't have that. Same level of grit in his voice now. I like it. I like the grit in his voice here. Yeah. But I, I mean, he's. It's hard to think of a of a singer of Hughes's age now that can still sing the way that he does. Mm-hmm. Whether you like yeah. his style or not, all that like aside, what he can do technically with his voice is. I mean, I've always obviously been a huge Glenn Hughes fan, but yeah, it's it's impressive. Yeah. So good. I was I was nervous. Yeah, which
1: actually I, I was, actually I'm sorry, what was
0: it? No, I was gonna say I was nervous you weren't gonna give C Full of five.
1: <laughs> oh no, are you kidding me? Although it's it's funny now because back then I just thought of this as like Glenn Hughes couldn't match Gillen, but now like Gillen couldn't hit those high notes where Glenn Hughes could probably sing Child in Time Now. Right. At, at 70. Oh, and like, I, and Gillen can't. No question in my mind that Glenn Hughes could sing Child in Time now. Um, I mean, just as an example of like something with soaring vocals. And I mean, that's not to, um, of course, it's not to put down Ian Gillen or anything. It's just oh, every, no. everybody's voice no. develops like differently and like uh, in, in time, just what happens, happens. But it's just, it's funny to think that like uh, he, you know, he started off in this place and kind of like, like went up, maintained, maybe even got better. Well, one one thing about Glenn Hughes is, as
0: obviously we know, he, as as much as he got really into hard drugs and cocaine and everything, he never smoked. And Gillen was a heavy smoker for fifty plus years. Mm. I okay. mean, that's that's gonna take its toll on anyone. It's the same same as true of Coverdale he's got that same kind of effect i mean luckily the two of them are in good health and uh, and that's great but i mean how many how many heavy smoking rockers have we seen die of lung cancer in the past 10-15 years Mm -hmm. it's it's a real shame and uh i'm 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 thankful that (laughs) i'm sure i'm not saying uh doing massive amounts of cocaine is better For your health, for your health, or your or anything, and and I'm I'm glad that Glenn Hughes has been clean for that. I think he posted something the other day, 22 years clean. I mean, that's incredible. Um, so happy for him. Um,
1: yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not saying doing a pile of cocaine is better, but uh, at least he wasn't smoking cigarettes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's (laughs) it's probably not better for his overall health, but for his lung capacity and all that. I mean, that's it's that that has to have some sort of effect.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: all right next track up is the track oh I keep closing this I'm gonna have to open this back up Um, is the track Makes You Wanna Cry let me uh, oops forgot to share this oh my I I blew it okay Makes You Wanna Cry and now I believe this is the song first song not sung by Hughes on this album
1: right it's it's written by Mel Galley and Tom Galley When I first heard this song, I'm like, why does Glenn Hughes sound so weird? (laughs) (laughs) You know, back when I thought that like a band could only have one lead singer. Right. And it still is unusual. You don't see a lot of
0: bands with multiple singers. (laughs) I expect them them to go into the fire. (laughs) The way they stopped like that. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. You kind of get some real echo
1: on that floor, Tom, there that you haven't heard on any of his other drums. Yeah, I was going to say, this has got a little echo, a couple of different, a uh, little differently produced than the rest of the album, I feel.
0: Yeah, but like I said, on Seafull, you could say he just replaced his snare drum with a block of wood, and I'd believe you. But it sounds great. I like the way it sounds.
1: Yeah, but I was going to say, there's a lot of floor time in this. Just boof. <laughs> boof. <laughs> <laughs> and that little vocal harmony that makes you
0: want to cry vocal harmony
1: oh hang on this is my my favorite part of like (laughs) one of my favorite parts of the whole album I love this groove they get into
0: Is your room sound that you love?
1: Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. You could tell they were just friggin' rocking out here. I yeah, I love it, it so much. Like
0: that little like raking on the strings, like imperfect solo. I it's gr- yeah. it's refreshing to hear something like that. Great bass playing! I'm tired of people slagging on him for his bass playing.
1: Oh, nice nice sustain right here.
0: It's like they just cranked up the reverb at that point or something.
1: Ah, yes! That was beautiful. They picked one 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 thing to like like overproduce. That was the thing. Yep, yep. To like really bring that home.
2: Yeah. I
1: like Mel Gally's voice. Honestly, I think it's like okay. I mean Hughes is a tough
0: act to follow,
1: but That's what I was gonna say. Maybe it's because I've just been used to hearing Glenn through the whole album and I'm like, ah, who's this guy? (laughs) (laughs) No. He's no slouch.
0: That makes you want to cry. Vocal harmonies seems like the last kind of gasps from the original Trapeze lineup. Like, that sounds very much like it belongs in that era of the first album.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Great ending. Yeah, no, I love how how Mel Galley just, like, just like he, he like grabs onto like, like a melody line and he just like beats it to death in the best possible way. He just yep. like, he just like, he plays it over and over it will do little variations and then he'll go back to it. It's like, you know, it's like his home base or whatever. It's like, it's so good. It's so catchy.
0: Yeah. Great. Great plan.
1: Yeah, especially that overrated Glenn Hughes. That overrated
0: Such an overrated bass player.
1: Overrated bass players. uh, Let me see. Jaco Pistorius, uh, Glenn Hughes. (laughs) Jaco Pistorius. That guy was a slouch. (laughs) 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 And and Victor Wooten. Are you kidding me? That guy can't play. (laughs) And Glenn Hughes and... um, and it's like how can you say that and like literally
0: like he's never shown off as a bass player ever that i can recall like as a singer absolutely if you want to say i'm not going to agree with you but if you want to say he's overrated as a singer gotcha i hear you coming through chief no problem if you're like (laughs) oh he he does too much and he like sing he oversings okay i'm still a huge glenn hughes fan but i'm gonna give you that one i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue with you but to say he's uh, as a bass
1: player, come on. Yeah, no, he's he's too flashy. Him and Billy Sheehan, it's just like yeah, they gotta know. cut, they, they gotta look, cut it out. Every every five minutes, he stops the song because he's just finger
0: tapping too much. You know, it's like Glenn Hughes, <laughs> and then he just starts slapping and popping for like two and a half minutes. I could see him just like with like coming out with those pants that are made out of stuffed animals, like Flea, we used to wear, and just like just <laughs> head
1: banging and bang 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 bang. That'd be great uh be great if Glenn Hughes came out and he'd just played the bass the bass part to night court <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> not exactly or Seinfeld, <laughs> 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 and somebody else that <laughs> <laughs> no no Glenn Hughes would be doing <laughs> he'd those. Do, yeah, he'd be doing that. He'd be like, he'd be like no. <laughs> You know those that, that that was actually done on the keyboards. Yeah, I know. I saw like a uh, documentary on the guy that did that. It was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, you know what? I saw
0: that too. Yeah, you saw it, like I, so he would like he would watch it in real time, like what Seinfeld was like the, the stand-up act. Yeah, and then he yeah. would do them like along to it. I was like, holy crap. I never yeah. realized it wasn't like just like they put the recordings in. Like he would listen along to his, yeah. and like whenever he'd make a joke, he'd be like bah, 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 bah. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> that was that was really brilliant if you think about it. Yeah, Evan, I have a newfound respect that- for the production of that show. That's but I mean, that's that's been something that like, you know, film has been doing for years, too. Is, right. Is like, it makes perfect uh, you know, sense. Like yeah. scoring a film, scoring a TV show like somebody really um, uh, like like gifted like that will watch the image. And, uh, and there are a lot of times that they'll have the yeah, music the, will the the artists. Right. Yeah. will follow the image.
0: Yeah. You see like that's the horse and there's like a woman there with coconut shells watching the movie. <laughs> it's like it's so <laughs> simple, but that's how they still do it sometimes. But yeah, There's not a,
1: even not even sound effects, but like the soundtrack, yeah. like the music would be the same, you know. Which is like, um, yeah, the sound effects are obviously the like the um, like the literal or the the most obvious way, like <laughs> you said, like the, the coconut is going. <laughs> well, that's like, how they do
0: the. That's how they score the movie too. They watch the movie and the conductor like goes along. Like I've seen like the documentaries on John Williams yeah. doing it's incredible. They were doing the Chicago good,
1: good films, yeah.
0: Yeah, yes exactly <laughs> the chicago symphony orchestra was doing a little while back they were doing the home alone movie and playing along to the movie and we were gonna like take the kids there but it was like so astronaut it was gonna cost us like 400 dollars. oh my god and i was like i was like it would be so cool to see that but i was like yeah that's a lot of money so instead we <laughs> stayed home and watched it <laughs> and spent <laughs> yeah. zero dollars
1: uh that would be uh that would, that would be something else though they um, they had um there was actually something because I put in you know Seinfeld clips is one of the things that I put in uh to youtube or whatever then they had like you know of course uh they have all sorts of like these uh you know home uh, uh musicians or whatever um unknown music youtube mm-hmm. whatever and there's a guy who's like you know playing, Along uh, on an actual bass to the Seinfeld oh, yeah. theme, and he did like three different tiers of it. He was like beginner, intermediate, and then like crazy. And like by the time he got to like experienced, he was like doing like the the over under, and he was like doing bass taps and everything. But it's it still was this, the the Seinfeld theme, which was like it was it was really technically good, and, and it was funny at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, makes you want to cry.
0: What do you say about that song?
1: Oof. Um. So. You know, I'm, like, I'm going to give this one a four just based on the fact that, like, I loved the solo section so much. Um, the rest of the song is kind of not as exciting to me, like, uh, yeah. but but the, I think the anticipation of just waiting for that, like, that middle, like, section with the guitar solo and, like, you know, just Glenn grooving in the background, everything, like, that alone, I got to give it a five. Uh, four, four, sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Four. Four. Sorry, I take um, it back. I take it back. I'm stingy with my fives. I'm putting it back in my
0: pocket. Yeah, it's really good. I think for that reason I'm gonna give it a three point five because I feel like that 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 but it's very slow in plotting that it, it seems like it, it 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 goes on a little bit. Again, great song, great in great part, but I, I would almost kind of fill find this one to be a filler too.
1: Yeah. Um
0: and again, not, uh, in the course of the album, I think it sits really well. It's coming in before the, the, the title track. Um, and uh, I like it. Speaking of the title track, here we go. Final track of the album. It's a short one. Medusa. Nice, really nice acoustic guitar sound and those bends and everything.
1: Yeah. You're bound
0: to think this one was written solely by Hughes as well as <clears throat>
1: From sea that never came. Sounds like he's doubling that good acoustic. Yep. The time to find the top.
0: It sounds like one one acoustic guitar track and the other are panned hard left and hard right.
2: Mm-hmm. Voices call nameless one
0: Crying all of the time Great effect of the, the bass, the bass drum, and the cymbal all hitting at the same time. Tales of no
2: one in my sleep stepping out into the night. Uh, Again.
1: Such a good riff.
0: Another great riff introduced. You you saw, this is a riff written by Glenn Hughes who'd later work with Iommi but it sounds like he could have... Uh, been working with them at this time
1: yeah it's around the time that Sabbath put out their first album too that's right now I feel like they could have worked together back then they were on the same kind of musical plane yep I just love riffs where they just like they they bend that like E string and then just hit the and then they just hit that open E. Yeah, boom, boom, just so heavy.
0: Lava's voice is breaking up like that.
1: That was a really abrupt ending to the guitar (laughs) solo. He's just a... (laughs) (laughs) a I don't know what else to do. I'm
0: just... <laughs> it's like one of those early Richie solos that just like, whoa, whoa wait, what just
1: happened? <laughs> I was thinking about the early Richie solos like this week, and I was just like, I was laughing. I think about them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that, torturing a cat. <laughs>
0: Oh. and it was it was rough before the the wasp got involved
2: from a sea that almost came
0: there's no time we've talked about it before but this is the song that John Bonham loved and he would just he one time he jumped on stage and played this song with them and just wouldn't let them stop and played for like 20 minutes. They did like a 20 minute version of the song. Wow, I like this little build here. Gotta get a little taste of Hughes proper here.
1: Nice, nice ending. I feel like the the ending could have could have gone more epic. Um but I like the fact that they knew when to stop uh, rather than doing that false ending thing that they did earlier <laughs> in one of their other songs. Yep. Um but yeah, no, it's that's like it such a good riff. Like I said, I love when love when a, when a when a riff uh, somebody writes a riff like that where they just do that they just, they, they bend that low note and then just like hit that open string. It's awesome. I always, oh, yeah.
0: whenever I think of this song in my in my head, I always think of the Anthrax song Medusa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's looking at you with her eyes. <laughs> it's like, it's like it's such a, such a funny for some reason that, um. That, that line always used to amuse me I think it's a line that Paul my friend Paul always used to call out she's staring at you with her eyes it's like is that you know you could probably yeah. edit this down you just a little redundant <laughs> staring at you with what with her eyes
1: <laughs> um, no with her big toe
0: <laughs> um oh yeah I, I i I like that song and I, I almost to what you're saying with the epic ending I could almost see like Seafull could have been a maybe a better album closer than Medusa maybe start off the second side with Medusa and mm. end it with Seafull. um just because of the epic nature of that song
1: this is still though like um it's it, the song does have like this this epic quality to it the feeling and it's it's funny that it's like Glenn Hughes that wrote both of them or maybe yeah. it's not so much I mean it's like obviously it's his songwriting and it's got that that vibe to it. So it makes sense that they both have that, that it gives us that same sense, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think for, for an album closer, like they, they could have gone a different way. Like they could have just, uh, when it slowed down, they could have, you know, kept going like that and been like done, you know, and then like done the strumming, (laughs) you know, and then the shh, yeah you
0: know, yeah well, it's, it's kind of like when and... they recorded it they didn't know it was gonna be the yeah. album closer you know like they just got to the end they're like oh we're gonna put that song last and oh maybe we would've done it differently had we known that Ooh, wait we... and they could've gone to yeah maybe they thought what's the song at the end was it touch my life or what's yeah. the one that ended with the bat bat Bah, bah, yeah. bah, bah, bah. It's almost like they thought that was going to be the album closer, because yeah, it, it's very possible that they don't know. You you might not know the sequencing until it's too late, and yeah, you're on but a time I mean, frame.
1: You know, not not to take anything away from the song. I mean, oh no, of course great. that's how. Like there were some songs like this that you know kind of escalate to that in a live setting on stage. Which sure. Who knows? Maybe they. they and if John Bonham's like around, I'm sure had a very epic ending.
0: <laughs> I don't know what Dave Holland was doing that. Like and based it's, on it's, how he's arrested for I could imagine
1: but well i mean it's it's pretty cool to think about the fact though that like when you talk about somebody like right so John Bonham really well known mm-hmm. um legendary <laughs> yep oh, and he yeah. and he loves this song by this band that's like not not very well known i mean and they in the grand scheme of things, you know, that it's like, it's Led Zeppelin, Trapeze, you don't know, but it's, it's <laughs> Trapeze doesn't get quite as much credit as Led Zeppelin. Right. But it's kind of cool because that kind of like lends like a, uh, kind of a validity to the music knowing that somebody like John Bonham. Oh yeah. Loved it so much, but it also says a lot too about like back then it's just like, probably didn't walk around thinking like, yeah, I'm like a god or something. I mean, they're just all guys that like music and they're they're like digging each other and stuff. So it's just like, when you think of it like that, it's just kind of like, you know, you know, break the barriers, man. You know, it's just like, it's all all good. Just because Led Zeppelin was famous doesn't mean that they're any better than this. I mean, it's like their own drummer was like forced them to play it for 20 minutes.
0: (laughs) Well, and back in 1970, granted Zeppelin had been around for a few years, but who would have known... At that point, maybe they could, trapeze could have been the bigger band than Led Zeppelin. They didn't really know. Granted, that time Led Zeppelin, of course, was the bigger band, but uh, but yeah, you don't re- it, at being in the moment. I'm sure you had just no idea.
1: I mean, I guess you can a little bit listening to. I mean, if you really think about it, like you think about the musicianship and the songs and everything, like on this this album, 1970, Deep Purple in 70 Led Zeppelin, like you can hear the different like levels of musicianship and where they were. And obviously like these guys are really young. I mean, like Mel Galley was like I think early twenties. Dave Holland was probably I'm guessing the same thing. So you basically you have like a band of like, you know, like young guys like just starting out. And they put out a like great album, but definitely not absolutely not seasoned yet. But that's probably why it's so good. Like so raw.
0: Like you hear a lot of the stories too of uh, what was it? Glenn Hughes was offered a ELO, right? ELO. At the same time, he was offered Deep Purple, and he like mm-hmm. agonized over like which one do I join? And it kind of sounds like at this point, like sounds like it should have been obvious. But in living in the moment, you don't know where where the tides are going to turn. Like remember, uh, what's his name? John Bush was going to join uh, Metallica you know to repl- cuz Catfield didn't want to sing anymore and he's like well you know I think I'm going to really just stick with Armored Saint I- cuz at the time it looked like well Armored Saint could have been the band that took off and mm-hmm. I mean obviously that ended up being a <laughs> it- strictly if you're making up a- the business decision that was a bad decision but you don't know the- which way the wind's going to blow
1: yeah huh. and uh yeah, you take the- your chances man yeah so anyway Medusa anyway, yeah, tangents. We said, no, we're not going to get off on tangents today. No, this is the time we're going to stay on task. <laughs> we say it every time. All right. So, yeah, Medusa. Awesome title track, closer, riff. Um, 4.5 for me. I'll give it a 4.5 because that's oddly enough, the only guitar solo that I'm not crazy about. Yeah. It's 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 good, but it's kind of like nondescript. Like the song is great and then the solo just just kind of like um <laughs> it just ends like abruptly and yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fine. Well, it's forgettable. You know what I mean? Like the other solos I can sing along to or I can like, you know, I know their melodies or whatever. This one just doesn't really have it that much, so. I'm going to give it a 4. I
0: really I really dig the song. But to me this album is about seaful and I just not that there can't be two fives on this on the album, but Seafull for me is just one of those tracks that's just a standout track. It always has been from the first time I heard it. It's one of my f- if if you're getting a five from me it, you're it's one of my favorite songs period, not mm-hmm. just just of the deep purple genre and um and uh yeah, that's why I'm giving this one a four it's it's, right. it's it's very good. I enjoy it. I rock out to it, but it's not like one of my all-time favorite songs of all ever
1: which is not an insult <laughs> no we have to qualify that so um hey the, the album rating is not showing up oh let me fix that uh just drag this formula
0: down boink there we go yeah <laughs> i like the boink Boink. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, um, this so- album gets a pretty good rating i mean not surprising based on how we've been talking about it but
1: yeah. So, um, yeah. Combined, uh, actually, wow. Look at that. I, I liked it a little bit more than you did. Yeah, the second album in a row that you've liked a little more than me. Wow. But together, together, a, our variance is very small as usual. Yep. Um, our combined this isn't who do we
0: think we are. <laughs> <laughs>
1: eight eight point two one. Eight point two one. That's a strong showing. Yep. Um, it it's uh comes in behind the uh, the butterfly ball. And uh, Come Taste the Band and Stormbringer. So it's uh, in that league. Yeah. Like, very, very close, like, combined ratings for those. Very close. So, yeah, and I mean, um, again, like, I always say when I look at these, it, it it really does make sense. There are a lot of different factors. Like, I could, like, love a lot of songs and, like, that'll boost it up and, you know, you could, but, I mean when you look at like all the albums, you're like, yeah, these are all like those what four albums that I mentioned are all ones that like, yeah, I would like definitely like listen to those like more than once. Oh yeah. Um, or those, those would be like my go-to albums, like in the day. Whereas like, if you look at like the, <laughs> the, the shades of deep purple at a 5.38, if you want to go all the way back, That's actually, a- what was the
0: war horses yeah. are still our, are. uh,
1: it's still, uh, it's, it's still uh, a five point two one. Yeah, boo, boo, <laughs> <you> booing it. <laughs> boo! There was we had we had a uh, we had a comment earlier on Facebook, um, um, and um, one of our I um assuming he's a viewer listener was like um I think he said like um. Um, hang on, I've I gotta I gotta read it. I guess you haven't seen it yet. It's the most engagement I've seen on our Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook is definitely the. Um, Twitter is out of control.
0: Yeah. Instagram, we get some stuff on Instagram, and Facebook's kind of. well get we I get some pretty good stuff on Facebook, but it's uh, usually few and far between. I'm okay, looking...
1: so it's on the white snake. The white snake uh, post. He's like um, um Rich, I... Sh- Shilar. Oh yeah, he's he's um. He's, he's commented before. Yeah. Uh, slogging my way through Warhorse episode. Oh. <laughs> Good reminder why I bought it, listened to it, and tucked it away till a flood destroyed it. No <laughs> need to replace. A flood destroyed it? You, know, you say no need to replace. <laughs> so, so my comment was Warhorse is terrible, and I still blame it for crashing my laptop. And then he replied back. Yeah, you should hear their cover of place in line <laughs> <laughs> oh man that'd be rough uh so uh rich sorry if I mispronounced your last name but I thought that was uh <laughs> that's good the, I just the best interaction I've had all day I just love that the thought that like oh no my warhorse album was swept away in a flood oh well <laughs> it's it's floating around out there with the score to the concerto. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah Warhorse. But i um, yeah, like like I said I'm, I'm uh, interested in getting into some later Nick Semper stuff because we've heard some pretty good Nick Simper stuff that just
2: Yeah,
1: Fandango
0: was pretty good. Fandango was really good, yeah. Mhm. I mean, it's no JoLynn Turner Fandango, but no. they actually actually Jolin Turner Jorg uh, actually sent me uh, today a, a clip of a, a live JoLynn Turner Fandango. Um, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah, really rocking. It's fun. It's fun seeing him on the guitar, too. You know, he's rocking out on the guitar and man, like with with different production when he's not falling into that aOr production realm, I can really I love his voice. He's a great singer that's indisputable. but when he's singing something a little bit more on the raw side and less produced, I really dig it. So interested to get into some of his stuff later too
1: nice
0: so not a heck of a lot to go over with this album like i said there's god very little information out there about it i've searched i even york planer even came up kind of empty and he wrote he's like oh he's like mayor mind you i only collect coverdale stuff <laughs> it's i was like that's funny you seem to have a yeah. lot
1: of other stuff no coverdale adjacent huh
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he does I, of course, he. He he sends me all sorts of stuff, uh, including the Joel and Turner Folgers commercials. <laughs> so he definitely collects other stuff. But he only and a funny thing he mentioned is I guess the way he gets all of these articles, which is I hope I'm not giving away his secrets, but he says he finds people that are selling by weight these magazine articles already cut up. So like he'll, he'll, he'll somebody will be like, oh, I'm selling a kilogram of like cut up articles about rock bands and he'll buy them and go through them and find the deep purple or coverdale or whatever related stuff so it's like mm, intre- I, it's like I never it. knew there was a market out there for just selling like uh metal magazine stuff by the pound. <laughs> it's kind of interesting.
1: Wow. Um all right, what was You're I looking make a small fortune with all the shit that I saved from when I was a teenager. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? There was big, like, big plastic bins in my parents' house just full of like metal edge and. Oh yeah, and, you still have them? Oh yeah, my my parents want me to like throw them out, and I'm like, no. And my mom's like, do you? Uh, you think you're really gonna read these again? And I'm like, maybe.
0: <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's the same like dynamic I have with my parents. They're like. <laughs> like we're gonna throw this stuff out? No, no. Like, okay, we're gonna bring it to you. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it there. No, I want it to be at your house. <laughs> I know it's safe. Yeah, no, I exactly. Haven't, I haven't lived with you in you know twenty something years. I don't, I don't, I don't want it. But I, I don't want it to be thrown away. Exactly. Um, so I was able to do some digging on my own without the help of your planer. Man, mm-hmm. that stinks. I need York Planner's help. <laughs> <laughs> but I did find two little kind of brief mentions of this album. One was in uh, American Radio History, the May 9th, 1970 edition. If you zoom in here, if I zoom in here, we got this little um, review on trapeze. And it says, produced by the Moody Blues John Lodge for the group's new threshold label, the five-man trapeze act comes off as a rib and... Oh, I'm sorry. This is the Trapeze album. Um, personality of their own. Whoops. John Jones and... Oops. Okay, never mind. See? Oh, John this... Lodge produced the first album. There mm-hmm. you go. Um, this one is... Edit, for... edit, the, edit that out. Edit, edit that, that out. That, out. that never out. happened. Okay, so I guess I only have this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is extra extra uh, reason why I need York. Um, it was going to be like five. There's only hey, five people on that album. Exactly. Trapeze, Medusa... By Threshold, Um, this English group has its roots somewhere between the blues and Felix Papardali. Don't know what that means. And Leslie West. The music is energy for the most part, and the musicians know their business. The lyrics point to the pop version of the concepts of the universal love and peace. The moody blues discovered the group, and the group's message runs along the same lines, but with far heavier music as a conveyance. Yeah. Nice. Short little blur, but accurate. Okay, cool, so yeah. If anybody else has any reviews of the Trapeze Medusa album, please send them our way. Love to throw them in the archive here. That's some interesting stuff. Heck yeah! And then, uh, like I said, the band toured the USA supporting the Moody Blues, including two shows at t- Carnegie Hall. It's pretty amazing to imagine Trapeze playing Carnegie Hall.
1: Mm, interesting. Have you ever been to Carnegie Hall? I don't think so. I saw
0: uh, Rufus Wainwright and his like extended family perform there, and it was friggin' incredible. Hmm. Including, it was actually it was a Christmas. They this family had this Christmas album, and they did this like Christmas show with all this kind of out there Christmas stuff. Some kind of really cool stuff. And um, Lou Reed was like there, and Jimmy Fallon came on stage at one point. It was like a really weird concert. But at one point, Rufus Wainwright sang "Oh Holy Night." Acapella with no amplification in Carnegie Hall, it was one of the most incredible musical experiences I've ever seen to just because you you know Rufus Wainwright, right? yeah, his voice is just unbelievable. and to just wow, the power of his voice is unlike almost anything I've ever seen, and to just imagine just singing Carnegie Hall, no microphone. And it, you could hear a pin drop in the audience, and it was—it was not like we were straining to hear them. Just incredible, incredible That's stuff. That's
1: wild. That's some wild stuff.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget it. Um, okay. So, what else we got? We got the history. A few little history tidbits for this week before we before we br- break off until the next time. Uh, in history, funny how these things always kind of happen sort of semi coincidentally but on f- in February of 1976 the album Rainbow Rising was released or, or began recording I'm sorry began to be recorded in February of 1976 which we just covered in our last episode if you want to hear it
1: and in that same month yours truly came into the world oh <laughs>
0: <laughs> baby baby boy Matola was born Yep, not old enough to hear
1: "Rainbow Rising" That's yet. Right.
0: February tenth, I... February tenth, if memory serves. Wow,
1: wow, oh, you're good. I've got a good memory for birthdays for some reason. No, no, all of our listeners know my birthday. <laughs> well, you gave away most of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think you'd give away the the month and the year, but want to keep the day secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in case. <laughs> and then uh, January twenty eighth of nineteen eighty six. Black Sabbath sort of featuring <laughs> Tony Iommi releases it's Seventh Star sort of. So again, kind of coincidental. This is uh so this is it's not really Black Sabbath. It was really supposed to be a Tony Iommi solo project, but the record label is like, "No, we'll sell a lot more if we call it Black Sabbath." And this is uh when Glenn Hughes was the singer of Black Sabbath, so ties into today's episode. <laughs> I love just this it's got to be this is one of the most horrible album covers. <laughs>
1: It's just, yeah, it's like
2: Tony yeah, Iommi.
1: T- it should have been called Tony Iommi, outstanding in his field. You know, just like Tony Iommi, depressed. <laughs> Tony Iommi, um, plenty of fringe, fringe. <laughs> like fringed and confused. <laughs> fringe. <laughs> you know, he just a p- pensive. You know, he was very pensive. Yeah, but it's also it's like it's it was a,
0: it's also like they had the flash on. Like it's it's being taken like late at night. Or like at dusk, but they have the flash on him, but it looks like a like a cheap flash, not like a well managed <laughs> flash. Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll be getting to this album one one day or sooner or later, I guess. And then, on uh, sad news, actually, I'm sure you remember this, but February 1st, 2003, the space shuttle Columbia disintegrates on reentry. I don't know if you remember. Do you, did you see that on TV when it happened? No, I saw The Challenger in 86. So. Oh, God, yeah, I watched that live. My t- my teacher called us all into the room because she was super excited because the first teacher was going to go into space, and we watched it live. Ugh. She'd been talking yeah. about it for months. All oh, year, goodness. we were just, like, ready for it, and then we all got gathered together, you know, back when they just had that one little TV. They rolled around in a cart, and we went into this room and watched it live, and then we saw that happen, and we were all kind of, like, looking around, and we looked at her and saw the look in her face, and we are like uh-oh, I don't think that was supposed to happen. It was a terrible feeling.
1: Yeah, that's... Um, uh, but yeah, this was This, this was, was a little bit before... I'm, I mean, it's obviously during my time, but I mean, you know, I was... don't remember it. What was it, 83? No, this is 2003. Um... I was, <laughs> was going to say, yeah. before what time? I think you were just wasted. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't paying attention to much in 2003, and I'll let you mention it, so I was... 2003. Um, yeah, but no, I um, yeah. So uh, edit that out too. It makes me sound like an idiot. I'm not editing anything. <laughs> um, we're What's both that? sound like idiots. It's too much work. Fourth or fifth time in the episode that we've sounded like a couple of dummies. But. Well,
0: that's, that's a, that's pretty good for us. I think then I'll, I'll take it. So, um, the reason <laughs> I bring this up is, you know, it's this terrible thing. It was coming on re-entry and it, it broke up in the, in the atmosphere and you could see it live on TV. The video of it just like, it looked like all these like streaking comets coming through. It was really, really terrible. Um, but on board was, uh, the, uh, I believe she was like one of the mission specialists. Her name was, uh, Kaplana Chawla. And she was a huge Deep Purple fan. She had with her on the ship copies of Machine Head, Perpendicular, and Rainbows Down to Earth. And she had been in communication from space. It was like mm. kind of a big deal. Like she was she was in communication. I think with Steve Morse and Roger Glover, um, communicating with them about the music. And they, they and she said she would wake up every day and play Space trucking like on the space shuttle, mm. uh, which was kind of cool. Because I think they were up there for a couple of weeks and uh unfortunately you know came to a tragic end and then later on uh steve morse would write the song contact lost which is on the bananas album and it was a kind of tribute to her and the and the and the families and all the proceeds from the song went to the to the families of the, uh, who survived whose family members uh, perished in that terrible tragedy so kind of interesting stuff there's or getting ready for launch and this is a terrible photo of one of the helmets they found out in a field after it crashed but it's a terrible and a, the the, wreck, the wreckage was across miles and miles and miles because of the way it came into the atmosphere but oh terrible stuff I shouldn't have ended the show in such a downer but oh man I'm depressed I know right well, um yeah, so I'll put a link in the show notes as an article about that, uh, the, about the Challenger thing and everything. If you want to learn more about trapeze, there's very little mentioned in Glenn Hughes' wonderful biography, where he look where if you take away the hair, he looks like Bob Hope. Can I do it? <laughs> uh, Can I take away the hair?
1: He's got the Bob. I'm kind of kind of surprised, kind of surprised that he didn't mention that. It's like his his start, you know, in music. Like, is, you know, yeah, being a band? He talked about it a little bit, but yeah, it's funny. It does, he doesn't give it a lot of
0: play. It's just, he briefly mentions it in passing a few times. Um, hmm. But yeah. So yeah, check that out if you want more information. There's also a really good uh, website that I'll link to. It's actually Glenn Hughes' website that has a little brief history of trapeze and the things that they did. So it'd be cool. So, all right, my friend. With that, I think we should. uh Call it an episode, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay. All right. Good good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening.
1: What would you talk to a 17-year-old about? Stickers? I don't know. Stickers? What do you talk to 17-year-olds about? That's what I'm asking. I don't know.